it was just a beautiful time to be able to do ministry and just see how sometimes God gives you a gift. And this time we didn't, you know, we had plans to go out throughout the city to find African migrants. And, but instead God chose to bring them literally to where we were staying. The missionary life. What is it? And who does this kind of thing? Welcome to the Inlander podcast, where we explore the missionary journey through interviews with people serving across a spectrum of places and ministries. Men and women who have left good jobs, sold homes, and said goodbye to the comfortable and familiar, all in answer to Christ's call to share his love among the nations. From remote desert outposts to the bustling streets of some of Africa's busiest urban centers, we look at what it means to pack up a life and follow Christ to the ends of the earth. Welcome everyone to another edition of the Inlander Podcast. I am your host, Mike, and today I have with me Rick who has been working with AIM for quite a while. Rick has an amazing, uh, just storied adventure in missions, he and his family. And I'm excited to dive into that. Rick and I, uh, I think we first met in Kenya and our ministries overlapped a little bit out there. And uh, Rick uh, is joining us from California right now uh, for this episode. And today we are gonna hear some of Rick's uh, amazing stories as a, as a missionary in a remote location, but also, uh, we're going to hear about Rick's um, venture into diaspora ministry. And if you don't know what that is, we are going to really uh, dive into that today and talk about AIM's ministry to African immigrants and refugees all over the world. Rick has um, special insight into that, but uh, we're going to rewind back to the start. Um, Rick, thank you so much for joining us uh, with the Inlander podcast today. It's great to have you. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, it's good to be here. Happy to help out. Well, Rick, could you... Um, just uh, take us back and give us um, just a quick overview, sort of that 10,000-foot view of your, your guys' mission story. Yeah, we started in 1998 in Kenya, and our first assignment was to teach at a, a Kenyan high school, a boys' boarding school. In Kenya, it's very typical to have um, boarding schools for both boys and girls separate, and we arrived at the school and there was a problem in the fact that the school had not started. And so they said, hey, why don't you be the headmaster of the school? So um, through some prayer and thought and talking to other people, we decided that that might work with, I have a business degree. And so maybe it kind of sort of an entrepreneurial exercise and um, God, it was good. So we started that school and we were uh, the headmaster there. Carrie is a nurse. So she did, she was the school nurse. We did that for about seven years and realized that God was kind of moving us on for 
number of different reasons. And we really felt like um, more evangelism and church planting would be uh, where God wanted us next. So we did just that. We um, went on a trip around northern Kenya and uh, saw all kinds of different work going on. And one of the places we stopped was a place called Karungu. And it was nice. It was out in the desert, but it was high desert. It was about, you know, about 3,000 feet in elevation. So very hot during the day, but really nice in the evenings. It cooled off and it really reminded me of a California heat wave, which is sort of my happy place. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's hot in the day, but it cools off at nighttime. And one of the guys that worked in a really hot environment said, Karungu's great because it's cool enough in the morning to enjoy a cup of coffee. And uh, that, was, uh, that was a good way to put it. And it was really true. So there we worked with the Samburu people. And we did, uh, there, was a, there had been a church there. And um, so we kind of went to kind of walk alongside that church and help develop that church. And then we also pushed into doing outreach in more re remote locations. So that was sort of our focus. We used a uh, chronological Bible storying method since um, most of the Samburu people uh, uh, especially at that time, did not read, and there was no Bible available, so we had to speak the Bible to them. So mm -hmm. that's what we did. We um, so both um, our time at the school and our time in Karungu were about seven years each, and then so after seven years in Karungu, uh, the AIM asked me to step into leadership uh, for what was called what is called the Eastern Region, um, sort of. Uh, directing the missionaries in Kenya and Tanzania. So we did that for about three years. And then we, uh, we felt we needed to come home to be part of um, the lives of our parents who were ill and not an uncommon story in missions. And we, um, so we were, we were going to be transitioning back. And at that time, uh, AIM decided to start a new, what we call a region and that was reaching out to the diaspora of Africa, Africans who had left the continent of Africa. And so they asked me to lead that. And so we started that about seven years ago. So, and that's where we are today. Wow. All right. I'm doing the math here. Uh, we're at 24 years. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Rick, um, I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear a lot more about Karungu partly because, well, I know a lot about Karungu because I was one of the pilots that flew supplies out to you guys when you were there. And I always right. love to come there. Um, and I have enjoyed a cup of hot coffee in the morning in Karungu. And I have to say it's awesome. And it's a beautiful place. And uh, I just remember you guys being out there as a family. And it just seemed like uh, such a, a wonderful adventure and a beautiful ministry. And I'd love to dig into it. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about how you uh, and Carrie were called or drawn to missions? Like what, you know, what was God doing in your lives? You were a professional. Mm -hmm. Working yeah. in a professional capacity. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, um, I was working as a, um, a sales rep for a company that sold uh, combustion systems and Carrie was a nurse and we, we both loved missions. We supported missions. We, um, we had grown up in churches that were involved in mission and we as a couple decided that we would do missions, ironically enough, about this time in life. So our, our youngest daughter just graduated college, and this is the time we were going to start thinking about doing missions. So 
the idea in our mind was our house would be paid off so we didn't have to raise support. We could, you know, probably self-support, uh, which was a big, you know, roadblock for us to do missions. And also mm-hmm. we thought, wow, we don't really want to raise kids out there. So, and so in our minds, that was the right way to do things. Um, but God had something different and planned. And uh, Carrie actually uh, did a missions trip. Uh, she went and visited a doctor at, uh, at Kajabi Hospital. And she, she visited him for about three weeks and which was also like, you know, that's probably a long story, but God just really brought that together and just opened up every door for her to get there. And so she came back and she was ready to, for us to be missionaries. And, but she said, you know what, Lord, if, if this is really what you want, then you tell him, I'm not going to tell him. I'll let God do the work. And then, so she proceeded to get information from AIM and we'd, we'd supported missionaries from AIM and, um, and the missionary that she had went and visited was an AIM missionary. And so she had all this stuff and was just waiting and praying. And she told me all about her trip and how much she loved it and how great it was. And I didn't really, you know, catch the, like the unwritten things, you know, the unsaid things. I guess it was a subtext that I wasn't picking up on. But yeah. fortunately, God still stepped in. He can um, speak louder than even my wife. And um, so he, um, yeah, I was at a church service and was challenged to, you know, step out in faith and try some new things. And uh, both Carrie and I were probably looking at maybe a change in our in our work situations, but um, weren't, you know, we hadn't really, uh, really very far down that road. But then... I said, hey, Carrie, what if we were to think about doing missions like now? And she said, oh, yeah. And we were actually at church then. And so we, um, you know, she had to go teach a Sunday school class. And I went to go take care of our daughter. And then um, we got back at that in um, back home. And that afternoon, I walked down the stairs and she had all of the application papers for AIM, um, all the pre-application <laughs> filled out. And I said, well, what's this? And she said, hey, I've been waiting for you. So, um, yeah, she was ready. And then, and God just, like, burst open the doors. And so we we called the realtor, sold our house. We had, you know, we only owned it for a couple of years. But wow. by God's mercy, you know, the real estate market was strong at the time. And we called our parents. And that was a bit of drama. But, uh, you know, in very short period of time, our parents were 100% on board with us going and God provided finances, which we thought would be impossible. God just just showed up. And nine months after that decision, we were walking off a plane in Nairobi. So uh, you guys taught for seven years. You can mm-hmm. picture the day in, day out of a, a teacher headmaster. I, I guess you were doing both. Um, that uh, teaching is a very accessible kind of ministry. If you've got the skills, in fact, AM's got lots of opportunities to teach uh, in, in either in government schools or mission schools. And um, it's a great way for folks to um, take that first step. Um, then you guys at some point decided to take a step kind of what I'd consider kind of further into missions, a little bit more of a, uh, a step of faith in a sense, because um, where you guys moved to, and you described Karungu a little bit earlier, um, yeah, it was remote. That's the word we use. You bought a Land Rover. And uh, how long of a drive is it from the city of Nairobi to where you guys lived in Karungu? So when we first started, 
Uh, it's changed significantly now because of the roads that have been put in. Yeah, but yeah, it was, it was a two day trip that was mostly off road and mm -hmm. very hard driving, like over, like there was, you would go different ways because different roads would sort of be washed out or be, you know, more inaccessible. But yeah, so we would, it would be a night, we would drive one, we would drive uh, probably six or eight hours the first day and probably another four or five hours the next day. And okay. um, and like you said, really hard driving because just dirt paths, yeah. cr crossing yeah, rivers, rocks and steep, steep things with like just on the precipice of, you know, I have this one picture in my mind that I'm like, wow, how did we live through that? So tell us a little bit about like, what does life look like for a family in a place like Karungu? Did, did you guys have to build a house? Was there a house there for you? There was a house there for us. We, um, there was some people, the missionaries that had lived there and they, they'd moved out probably, um, two years before we got there. So it was, you know, the house was, um, we'd started moving up some stuff and by the, actually, you know, when we, the day we got there, it was like rats had infested the place. So it was, wow. um, or these little tiny, they have these little tiny, they're really not rats, they're really mice, but, um, they did, they did a lot of damage. So our first, mm -hmm. like when we first drove up and opened the door to live there, it was a, it was a bad scene. So, um, wow. that was unfortunate. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, but we didn't have to build a house. So that was good. <laughs> okay. But this is a house that runs on solar power and you have yep. uh, a well for water and. Okay. Yep. We had a well and a solar pump. So yeah. So it was, yeah. Running your own power and water company. That was kind of basically our life. So we, our kids were, uh, were educated there. Were they, primary they school, school in a one room mud schoolhouse. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a great, it's a great little, uh, uh, fun fact for them when they introduce themselves to people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I would love to hear a little bit about, uh, the Samburu people, cause that's who you were living among, uh, in that area. And I mean, who are they? Um, what's life like for the Samburu? Um, what was it like? Um, you, you know, you talked briefly about you guys did a, like a Bible storying kind of approach to to evangelism. What did that look like when you were, you know, among the Samburu or just in their culture? Yeah, the Samburu are a people that live, um, for the most part, very close to the earth. They are, if you've... Um, uh, if you've heard of the Maasai people, they are um, uh, very, they're cousins to the Maasai. So they, they tend to wear like everyday dresses, a lot of beads, a lot of, um, uh, they, they, they don't wear skins anymore, but they do wear a lot of like wraps and things. And um, the warrior, there's a definitely a warrior class. And those guys um, are always walking with, they have um, a very specific kit. They usually have a box of matches with them. They usually have a mirror. They have, uh, they like their long hair. They have like long braided hair, um, like that's covered in ochre. And they, um, yeah, so they, they like looking at themselves. They, um, and then, but they all have a weapon. And so it's very specific. They have like a, a, a long weapon. And then they also have a, like a, a knife, a short knife. And they, yeah, they make sacrifices on the mountain um, from time to time to sort of, See if they can get, you know, rain or um, the rain is the big one because it's, it's a desert area. So 
go a long time, many, many months without rain sometimes. So yeah, that's their, um, that's their day-to-day existence. Um, trying to get by, they, um, move a lot. They, they are kind of what we call semi-nomadic. So they, Mm. like we lived in this valley and this, but so they moved around that valley, but it was more of a, like a chessboard, right? Where they would, they wouldn't move like, they wouldn't go move a hundred miles away, but they would move five miles away. If, you know, their, their compound they were living on became too, you know, where there was too many bugs or too many, too much, you know, refuse from the animals. They, they said, you know what, time to go. And they go. And so like, even to the point where we were having churches in these, some of these out places and we drive up and no, everybody's gone. And uh, we're like, <laughs> oh, I gotta find them. And, um, but then sometimes they would like carve us a road. So it's not like they didn't, you know, they weren't trying to run from us, but um, yeah, they, they, they moved and uh, depends on, how they have trouble with neighboring tribes um, and, you know, they do cattle wrestling and stealing back and forth. And, you know, those can be violent and um, deadly sometimes. And so, yeah, so they would, the security was one of the things that they were thinking about when they were deciding to move. But um, yeah, so that's the, that's the Samburu people. They were um, uh, fun people to live among. They were, they, they appreciated who we were and it was a, uh, it was definitely a sweet time of ministry. Well, when I think about ministry, you know, the, the, the highlights were, um, yeah, we, we used a very specific method to kind of walk them through who Christ was and just even, even the understanding of what sin was, um, they, they wouldn't really think of themselves as sinners off the bat. And so we'd kind of develop what that means and, um, like through God's word, how, um, yeah, when we do things that, that are, um, like God has told us not to do, that is, that's sin. And, uh, so, so through this process, they would, they would, we would, the old Testament, we would kind of describe who God was. We would tell stories and pick up on the different characteristics of God. So they would basically, we spent the old Testament really like through like mid, um, Exodus, developing who God is and develop and how he relates with his people. And that's a good spot because those are like nomadic peoples and you know, Abraham was on the move all the time. And um, so they find out who God is. And then we, we go into the new Testament and the new Testament, we start talking about this guy, Jesus, and they know the characteristics of God. And so mm-hmm. when we talk about Jesus, they're like, Oh, that guy is God. And um, because they, they know how to recognize God and it's obvious that Jesus is God. And so not from a, like a three point sermon on the deity of Christ, but just showing them the story of salvation that's as laid out in the Bible, they realize, wow, that's the guy. And um, yeah, so that was beautiful. And we had people come to faith and for baptism, we would uh, like have them memorize some scripture in their own language. We had, you know, there was a few different there's not a there wasn't a Bible translation at that point, but there were some parts of scripture that was had been translated. And so we had really some like almost like the Romans Road idea of so they could share some their faith with somebody else and have okay. scripture to do it with. And then we would have them give a testimony at church. We still had um and the testimonies that we got were remarkable. And I'll just kind of talk about two. One was um this guy that had moved on from being a warrior and warrior is definitely the peak of Samburu life for a male. And he literally said he had, he'd gone from being a warrior to what they call a junior elder. So really, you're not even an elder yet. You're just like a junior elder. 
So it's like you go from being a warrior, like the key, there's a star to like, well, well, you know, wait a few years and you'll, you know, you can have the say. <laughs> and um, so he was saying, well, when I was a warrior and I, I handed that over, I really thought my life had peaked and my life was going to go downhill from there. And, and this is this is like a 27 year old guy. So it's kind of rough at 27. You feel like your life is you know on its way down. And um, but he said, but then I met Jesus and I and I'm. I realized that my life is just beginning and my life is far better now than it was even when I was a warrior. So that was, that was a great testimony. Then a couple of different ladies gave their testimony and they both said, you know, I used to be in the darkness, but now I'm in the light. And because we were the ones that we knew all the scripture they knew. And we had not talked about that. We had not talked Mm -hmm. about, Christians going from darkness to light, but they experienced life in the darkness and they came to faith in Christ and they realized, wow, this is what the light's like. So they moved from darkness to light from their experience, not from hearing what we, you know, what, what we find in the Bible. So that was, those were like super sweet times. And yeah, we had a bunch of baptisms and those were, those were great celebrations, but those testimonies uh, always stick with me as really, um, just a highlight of our ministry there. That's awesome. Is there like any any sort of big lesson that you feel like God taught you um, during that time? Yeah, I mean, you know, the you know, it's it seems like you know the the, the lesson we all need to learn, but really dependence on the Lord and uh, just you know, because yeah, you're you know you're. You know, we, we weren't like dependent on electricity. If electricity goes out, that was, you know, that we could live with that. But, you know, we were dependent on water that came out of a well. At a, you know, and sometimes when there was a lot of drought in the area, like getting water was a, a thing. And then, um, yeah, just dependence on the road. You know, those were long roads that were sometimes dangerous. And sometimes, um, yeah, and actually I talked about sometimes we go different ways. Well, one of the reasons we'd go different routes sometimes because it was dangerous. There was danger. There was like gunmen on the, you know, on certain roads. We'd have to go a different route and yeah. And then get stuck. It was one time we got stuck in a river and God just, you know, I called a friend of mine's sat phone and we were stuck. We were, you know, we, it was, we weren't moving. And um, I called the sat phone and this guy said, my sat phone rang in my house and it's never done that before. And so his son is like, says, dad, the sad phone's ringing. He's like, well, you better pick it up. And, um, but he was able to, you know, pull us out of the river that we got stuck in. And, you know, it's like, wow. we were only stuck in that river because I was an idiot. So, I mean, it was like, I had drove, I did everything I knew I wasn't supposed to do. And suddenly I'm stuck. It's like, oh yeah, that's why they said, don't do that. Um, but, but by God's grace, we got out of that river that night and, um, yeah, so just those kinds of things that God just demonstrates for us that He is He's there and He sees us. You know, you know, the Great Commission says, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Yeah. And we, yeah, we experienced God being with us as we were um, mm. uh, trying to make disciples of all people. Mm. That's awesome, Rick. Yep. I feel like that would be my <laughs> big takeaway if I uh, had done something like you guys did up there, just because I feel like I would be so beyond my own abilities to make life work, to, to learn how to do ministry in a place like that. And, um, just daily dependence on God and, and everything, like you said, the little things like getting water to the big things, like, you know, how, 
how and where are the people we want to uh, minister to? They've they've up and moved. <laughs> Got to find yeah. them again. Um, yeah. So just leaning on God and everything. I know you went to uh, a leadership position, kind of back back in the city of Nairobi. Really different context from where you were in Kurungu and um, helping lead the region and all the various ministries, which your ministry would have been one of those Eastern region ministries. Um, and then I think you said what three, you did that for three years and you guys, uh, mm-hmm. came back, you were, you were thinking you need to come back, come back stateside and, uh, aim had another opportunity that was a great fit for, for you guys in your stage of life. And that was to, um, take the helm of our diaspora ministries. And, um, I'd really love to spend the rest of our time talking about that. Cause it, to me, it's so, um, unexpected in a sense, like AIM is, uh, been around 130 years and, um, you know, the mission has been on the continent of Africa for that long. And when people think of missions, when they think of Africa on mission, they think of, um, packing bags and getting on a plane and going to Africa and doing what you guys did, you know, spending years and maybe decades even, um, living in a foreign land. Um, so it's surprising sometimes that missions has another side to it. And that's really what the diaspora is. And so you are the perfect guy to tell us what this is all about. We've got the expert. Um, tell us about borderless, uh, what it is, what it's about. We want to see movements to Christ among unreached African peoples in the diaspora and to mobilize the both the national and African diaspora church to missions to unreached peoples. So there is a, um, at the time we were, um, that AIM decided to jump into this work. They, um, there was a movement of people that was unprecedented since World War II. And people are moving from everywhere to everywhere. And so <clears throat> that includes Africans who have, are moving away from their homeland And that also includes a lot of Africans who are moving away from closed countries, countries that that AIM might have people in, but it's not that easy to get people in those countries. There's an opportunity that in these countries, people are leaving those countries and going to countries that are not closed countries, that are um, open, that are, we're free to share the, um, the gospel. And sometimes it's our own homeland, right? And so we can share people with, if people come here from wherever, we can share the gospel with them, especially like I'm talking about the U.S. in this case, we can share the gospel with them and with no political ramifications. Currently, there are about 19 million, 19 and a half million. In fact, this is a, this is 2020 stat. There are 19 and a half million Africans living off the continent of Africa. Hmm. So yeah, our playground's pretty big for the you know what we're trying to do. Um, yeah. So yeah, they are. There's different places um, that so people get get here or get you know there in different ways. Like people come to America because maybe they they maybe they get it they win the green card lottery and they can come over. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have um, family here and that family will sponsor them to come here. And so there's, there's, there's refugees, people that are escaping. Mm-hmm. Then there's immigration, people that are coming for whatever reason, whether that's schooling, whether that's 
hey, I think I can, you know, I, I hear there's more opportunity in Europe or America, so I'm going to try to get there. And um, so, yeah, there, there's a lot of like uh, refugee settlement agencies. There's like uh, there's a number of different um, cities like Detroit's a big place where people kind of come. Clarkson, Georgia is another first stop. Houston, Texas is a first stop place. Um, yeah, there's a number of these throughout the U.S., there's also like Toronto, Canada. Is a, Canada is very welcoming to um, to immigrants. Um, Spain gets uh, folks from Africa because they they um, they leave North Africa on a boat and they travel across the Mediterranean. So in that context, you you know you're you're doing ministry in America, so you have all the political freedom to do that, whereas you wouldn't in some countries in Africa. But you still are working with a community and uh, mm-hmm. ethnic group that's fairly closed to that kind of influence. They're not necessarily ready to hear the gospel because there's churches all over the place, right? So they're, they're not checking out the local churches. Um, so what yep. are, yeah, what are some of the creative ways that, that uh, you know, you do, do ministry um, in these places? How do we, you talked about, you know, we, we want to love the whole person and come alongside and, and, bring help and, and serve and, and be the love, you know, or share the love of Christ with them. What does that look like practically? What are the creative ways you get those inroads, become part of the, the community and be welcomed into that? Yeah. Part of it is sometimes we will work with, um, it really depends on where we're at and what's, what's happening. But a lot of times we work with um, placement agencies that place refugees and immigrants. And so we'll like, we'll help welcome a family and be part of that process. We are um, teaching English here in the U.S. We're teaching um, Spanish in Spain, France and, you know, French in France, and just to help people get started in life. A very creative thing that's happening in a couple different places is driver training. So, um, you know, one thing that we do is we, we hang out with people and we hang out with, uh, most of the people that we work with are from Muslim background. Okay. So, but when we're like at a tea shop or at a coffee shop or at a park, you know, people are aware of who's around them. So they're, you know, they're a tea shop. They're, they're like, they might be talking to one of our workers, but what they're really concerned about is the guy in the booth next to him, what he's hearing. And so they're, you know, a little bit worried about that. So, um, so we have guys that are doing driver's training. And when you do driver's training, and everybody closes the door, suddenly there's no ears listening. And the conversations can change and be a lot more gospel specific because of the fact there's no one else hearing what's going on. So that's been another creative way and a super big help. I mean, so this is, we, we care about the whole person. These, these people aren't projects to us. They're people that are image bearers of God that we need to care for with the love of Christ. And, but we don't, but, but just doing nice things for people doesn't bring them into the kingdom. So faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. We need to be sharing the gospel, proclaiming the good news. Driving instruction has been a great way to um, help people along the way and also be able to share the gospel with them. So Rick, what does it look like to work with, uh, work with borderless. So borderless is, uh, just what we call AIM's initiative, uh, among uh, African diaspora, wherever we're working with them. In fact, we'll leave a link to the borderless website here with the podcast and invite our listeners to check that out. 
Um, so what might it look like to work with Borderless? You, you're moving into Detroit, you're working with a team. What, uh, what might life look like for someone doing that work? Yeah, almost all of our people are partner with at least a church, usually two or three churches. Um, other ones, like I say, a lot of ESL, but they, they partner with churches in doing this because they're oftentimes they're, um, they might be meeting the community center for the language, but we're trying to get Christian language teachers or lingu- language helpers so that their people are able to hear the gospel. And we're involving churches in Great Commission work even though they are um, living right there in the place that they, these could be people that have lived in the same neighborhood their whole lives. But now there's suddenly there's a influx of people from other countries and they can, they can do mission. Um, they can do foreign mission um, right there in their own home, in their own hometown. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's, it's really just getting into the nitty gritty of people's lives and helping them move into a new place helping them um, adjust, uh, helping them learn language, get um, acclimated to the neighborhood. If, if they are in a, um, an urban area, help them to understand what does it mean? How do you get around on a bus? And, or if they're in a rural area, it's like things like teaching uh, English or, or teaching driving. So it's just really getting into the mess of people's life so that you can help them along the way. And, and really, while that relationship develops to share Christ with them. You know, we don't, we don't have to, we don't ever feel like we have to wait to share the gospel, whether we've met them two minutes ago or whether we know them for 10 years, the gospel is relevant and um, it's appropriate. Is there any um, kind of picture, I don't know, a story you remember that just sort of kind of encapsulated like, like, Oh, this is, this is the world of uh, that we're in. This is, why diaspora ministry is so important. Um, I know you've, you've bounced around to all the different locations that we do this work and I don't know, just something you see and that really kind of hit home that, that, um, this, this is such a, not only a tremendous opportunity, but such a tremendous need. Yeah. The, the story that would come to mind is, um, in, uh, 2018, we were doing a short term missions trip in Southern Spain and, uh, so the purpose of this short-term trip was to go out and run into African migrants and try to share the gospel with them. And okay. like unashamedly without, if you don't know their language, you find out what language they speak and pull up Google translate. I mean, we were like, wow. you know, there's no barrier. We don't, you know, we, there's nothing that we, nothing that stops us. The only thing that would stop us is a lot of these are street vendors and they feel like they see the cops coming. So then they run off. But, um, <laughs> but we, we like, so that, that's the whole point of this. So we were, we were on, like, we had got there the night before we had, we'd gotten up the second day of our trip. We went to this place that we were doing training. We came back to the hotel that we were staying at and there were all these UN vehicles and we walk into the this youth hostel that we were staying at, and there were probably between 50 and 75 African migrants who had literally just arrived, like the day or two before. Mm-hmm. And so these were people that wore all the same clothes. They wore a gray, like gray sweatpants and a gray sweatshirt. And that was what the UN gave like, They got off the boat and they were starting to be processed by the UN. This is what they were handed, put this on. And these guys were 
they were just being processed there. They were doing at this hotel that we were at, they were doing um, like medical checks. They had like some medical people there and we had the chance to share a gospel. So we had just been trained how to share the gospel. We came back and now we can share the gospel. We like, it was the most amazing thing how God just kind of orchestrated that for those guys to be at that particular hotel. And um, mm -hmm. so that was just an amazing thing. So we got to um, practice what we were learning, but we were able to share the gospel. We, we sat with folks for, you know, watch the Jesus film in foreign languages. And uh, we were able to just see what it was like, talk to people, you know, usually that early on, people are a little bit reluctant to tell their story, but uh, just get a little bit of a, an idea of what it was, their story. We put together a thing where um, we had, uh, we were working with a, a welcome center and they had clothes. And so we brought clothes to the, um, to the hotel we were at. So we were able to give these guys some, some different clothes so they didn't all have to wear the same like sweatpants the whole, whole time. We, um, the ladies that were on the trip gathered the ladies and they had like a sort of a spa day where they like did their nails right. and um, things that like, you know, like apparently women like. And, um, but it was, it was, it, it really did like it. it apparently that does transcend culture. So, um, <laughs> so it was fun. And then we had some people that were like, they, they, a lot, a lot of these guys had come up like the West Africa route or different routes through Africa to, um, to North Africa to get uh, to Europe. And um, so we had some French speakers that were able to sing some like French worship songs with them. And it was, um, it was just a beautiful time to be able to do ministry and just see how sometimes God gives you a gift. And this time we didn't, you know, we had plans to go out throughout the city to find African migrants. And, but instead God chose to bring them literally to where we were staying. Mm. Wow. Yeah, and I also think, you know, in that picture of of the migrants, like you said, 50 to 75, just like all arrived, just arrived, um, you know, to me, that would also, it would sort of like strike you just how much um, the need was. Like they're, they've just arrived in Europe. They don't speak, maybe they don't speak the language they need for where they are. Um, they certainly don't have resources. They don't have networks. They are not driving. They don't know how the government works. Like it is such a picture of there's there's so much potential for coming alongside and and practically helping folks. Um, when you see, not many of us know what it feels like to be that displaced in a sense or that that lost, you know. Um, and we don't we don't tend to have a sense of how that would feel or what I'm sorry, like what the you don't even know what you don't know in a sense like. Um, and yeah, I think, um, that would have struck me just like, wow, there's so much work that can be done. There's so much opportunity to share Christ's love in not only word, but indeed, and come alongside. And like you said, the, the, the practical ways you help them, but even the ways you guys just affirm them, um, and their value, um, you know, like what a message to receive. So even in the short, those moments of intersection like that, and at the, you know, on the street in, in the hotel room. And then in the other context where you're doing ministry in a community, let's say in, in Philadelphia for years and you're building these relationships that go deep, right. And, um, a whole nother, a whole nother side of it. Um, so that's a really neat picture, Rick. Um, thanks for sharing that. And I guess, uh, we do, we've, we've kind of gone 
gone to probably uh, our time here. So I, I wonder, um, could maybe you kind of answered this question, but here's the question I have. If I, I've got a call for missions, maybe I've sensed a call for missions. Um, could that call be for diaspora work? Is this the same call? For sure it is. Um, we're, um, if you want the nations reached, you don't have to necessarily travel to a different nation. And if, if God has put in your heart to see the nations reach for him, if you look at uh, Revelation um, uh, 5, 9, and see the people from every tribe, tongue, nation, um, worshiping around the throne and say, wow, I want to be part of that. You don't have to travel that far anymore because people from those countries who don't know and don't have a good gospel, a viable gospel witness, they're here or they're even in Europe. So, so yeah, so, so a missions call can now be, um, yeah, literally a couple of hours away from where you're living right now. Maybe, maybe not even that far. And, but it could be, it's like, man, there's no way I could ever live in Africa. And um, so, but it's like, hey, you know, maybe France, that's not so bad. Um, but they're still reaching out to Africans in France, right? We have a, a number of people in France, we have throughout, throughout Europe and different places. And so we maybe, maybe we have, we have one worker in Southern Spain and she was, uh, she had a heart for the nations and she was teaching at a Spanish immersion school and she was teaching, you know, she was math, but it was one of these Spanish immersion schools. So she was teaching, all of her teaching was done in Spanish. And so now uh, she saw the opportunity in Southern Spain and now she's reaching out to an African uh, group of people and that are very Muslim and she's reaching out to them in Southern Spain and she's been, um, yeah, been great. So, so like learning language was, was not a difficulty for her because she didn't have right. to, she didn't you know, she already. So, and then the people that are coming, so she's also starting to work on their, their own mother tongue, but, um, but she's able to administer in Spanish in Spain. And, um, but even that we don't see as the, the roadblock because like, let's say you wanted to go to Spain to do ministry to Africans who are, these are newly arrived people for the most part. There's some, there's some longstanding Africans living in Spain, but, um, but what we would have you do is if you don't know Spanish, we would have you go and we would have you learn Spanish at the welcome center that we work at alongside these newly arrived okay. migrants. You would, you'd have the same need, right? And you're coming as like, Hey, I don't know this language either. Let's learn together. And um, so just, you know, just the kind of ministry that can um, yeah. develop from that just because you guys are working from the same spot. Yeah. But um, yeah, we see um, people that maybe can't travel. Maybe, you know, we have a lot of people that have children with medical issues that they can't leave. Um, they can't leave good medical care, whether that's wherever mm -hmm. that might be. And so we, um, we want, we, say, Hey, that's okay. Just, you don't have to go, you know, you don't have to go 10,000 miles. What if you go like a hundred miles to this city that has a huge need? And, you know, we have, whether we have workers there already or a partner organization that, that is ready to take on more people, we, um, we can offer that to you and you can be part of global missions, even in, um, in the country that you own the passport for. Mm, awesome. 
So what's a, what are some of the actual uh, opportunities, Rick? Can you give us a quick just picture of uh, if someone were interested in exploring serving in this way, what could they do with Borderless? Huge, huge need in Washington, D.C. We have um, you know, Detroit could use more people. Orlando would be very welcoming of more folks. We have um, we have partners in um, in Dallas, Fort Worth area, in um, uh, Arizona, Phoenix, um, so many places. We have a huge need that uh, we would love to see a, a team start in uh, Southern California, in uh, either LA area or um, or San Diego. These places that are enclaves of Africans that we see a, a huge need for. Is there are there ways to um get involved short-term as well as considering, you know, more full-term working with a team. Yeah, for sure. We, um, we have what's called discovery days. If you go, uh, actually go on our website, um, borderlessafrica.org. I think Mike's going to leave the link in the show notes and yeah, the, click on discovery days. We, you can just go visit one of our teams, whether for a day or for a weekend, just to see what kind of work they're doing. We offer internships. If you, if you are like, uh, Going to a, a school that says, "Hey, we want you need to do an internship." We're able to provide that um, for you, um, which is a short way to find out: Does this really work for me? Is this something that I could see myself getting involved in? Cool, awesome, Rick. Well, thanks. Those links will be there for those of you listening. Um, I love that idea of visiting a team for just a day or two and really just getting a feel for it. Um, so almost anyone could could take a look at what it, what it means to reach the nations essentially in, in your backyard in a sense. So thanks so much, Rick, for, uh, taking us down, um, just, a uh, a deeper understanding of what diaspora ministry is, what's happening, what the needs and opportunities are. Um, I think it's just an exciting, uh, possibility for anyone considering missions. Um, the yeah that call to um, the great answer the great commission um, um, is is more interesting maybe than it's ever been with uh, as you yep. said people moving from everywhere to everywhere so yeah we invite you to uh, just look into what Am's doing through Borderless um, and possibly visit one of our teams and Rick I think we need to wrap it up is there any last words you want to say. <laughs> No, well, thanks for this opportunity, Mike. We um, we want more people. We feel like the, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. So we are praying the Lord of the harvest that he would provide more workers. And we would love people to join us um, in Borderless. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for joining us today. Blessings to you. I was thinking just a moment ago, you, you kind of had this theme of sevens. So, you, you know, seven years <laughs> in teaching, seven years in Karunga. Now you're seven years here with uh, Borderless and so does that does that mean you're moving moving on somewhere or are you going to stick around? I think they've asked me to stick around for a few more years. So we'll, we'll <laughs> I think we're here for a bit. I'm sure we'd love to keep you as long as you're willing. So yeah, I appreciate you. Uh, thanks again, Rick. Blessings. And thanks for joining us, everyone, uh, here at the Inlander Podcast. Until next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Inlander Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe. Inlander is a production of Africa Inland Mission, a Christian mission agency dedicated to outreach among Africa's remaining unreached peoples. For more about our work and how you can get involved, visit us at aimus.org.
or look for us on Facebook and Instagram. For additional information and resources, see the show notes. And thanks again for listening.